Welcome everyone to It's a Rap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features extraordinary people who do special things to enrich our lives and people who have overcome major challenges and adversities in their lives to come out on top. Our guest today is a very special woman, Deanna Carpenter. She holds degrees in psychology and public relations. Uh, Deanna is a survivor of childhood abuse, domestic abuse, and human trafficking. Deanna has established a 5013C nonprofit organization designed to help survivors of abuse with soft life skills, as well as educating the public about the realities of abuse and how it affects the entire community, not just the immediate victims. Deanna shares her message of transforming from a victim to a survivor to a thriver to inspire others never to give up on themselves. Deanna's proudest achievement is that she broke the chain of abuse. Deanna is the proud mother of a daughter and son who have grown into strong-minded, independent, and confident young adults who stand up for themselves and others. I have some statistics uh, that I wanna give the audience here uh, from the CDC and US Department of Human Services on abuse. It is estimated that at least one in seven children in the United States has experienced child abuse and or neglect in the past year. In 2018, about 16% of children who were abused experienced more than one kind of maltreatment. Boys and girls experienced similar rates of childhood abuse, 48.6% for the boys and 51% for the girls. Children younger than one year old are the most vulnerable to maltreatment, accounting for almost half of child fatalities from abuse in 2018. In 2018, 76% of child abuse perpetrators were a parent to their victim. In 2018, 62% of children placed in foster care were removed from their homes due to abusive neglect, totaling over 160,000 children. One in six women and one in 14 men have experienced domestic violence by a partner in their lifetime. Adult survivors of childhood abuse are more likely to experience mental health difficulties, including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorders, PTSD, eating disorders, and substance abuse disorders. Adult survivors of childhood abuse are more likely to engage in high-risk behaviors like smoking, alcohol and drug use, and unsafe sex. They're also more likely to report overall lower health than those who haven't experienced child abuse. With all that being said, welcome, Deanna. What a pleasure it is to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So for our audience, can we get a timeline? Uh, I understand the abuse started at a young age, around three, and continued up to 15 years old. Can you shed some light on that time period for us? Sure. So uh, many people, when they talk about their first memory, it's usually something happy, like a Christmas or a birthday or something special, something happy. And that's usually the first memory they can recall. My first memory is of sexual abuse by my brother at the age of about three years old. Um, he received a gift. It was one of the, it, this was in the seventies. It was one of those TPs. Um, we had set it up in the living room and my mom was taking a nap on the couch and he and I were supposed to be taking a nap in the TP when um, he started touching me 
very inappropriately. Um, he was five years older than me. So, I mean, okay. he was still a kid at the time too. Uh, but that one doesn't excuse it. And two, it wasn't an isolated event. Um, as the years went by, the abuse increased. Um, my mom and my dad separated and divorced when I was in second grade. And uh, it was really at that time that things <clears throat> got worse to where I would try to find ways to stay out of the house as much as I could. Otherwise, it was pretty much a daily event for me to come home from school and have my brother sexually abuse me. Um, and then I would have to go do my homework or make dinner or, you know, clean my room, whatever the case may be. Um, he stopped abusing me um, when I was 10 because he moved out of the house. Um, then... I had maybe like a six month period of time where I actually had somewhat of a normal life. And then um, puberty hit and that's when my dad started abusing me um, sexually for um, a few years until I moved out of the house when I was 15. So when your parents divorced, uh, you're, you were living with your dad then? Yeah, my mom um, had left us with my dad. Um, so she pretty much um, only had visitation rights at that time. And uh, so we lived full time with my dad. And, and um, when I was younger and my brother was living with us, we were left home by ourselves all the time. Uh, my dad would work until nine o'clock at night and then he'd go into City Hall because he was um, a municipal judge at the time. Wow. Um, and he'd spend, you know, a couple hours there. So he wouldn't get home until late most times. Uh, so we were home a lot by ourselves. So I would, I would say the, the, the abuse is more continuous than sporadic. It, it definitely was. Um, I, I said to somebody just the other day that I don't, and until later, much later in my adult life, I did not know a life without some form of abuse going on. Um, yeah. You know, until I was probably 25 was when I finally um, got out of all the abusive situations that I was in and started. Were there any, were there any good times in that period that you can remember or? Absolutely. Um, I think that that's one problem that we have with uh, a childhood abuse is that we have moments of normality and we have moments of happiness. Um, we would go to the zoo during the summer or Six Flags or there were times where I would be able to go out in the neighborhood and play like a normal kid. Um, so you had those the spurts of normality and you would think, well, you know, my life must not be that bad if I had days where I could laugh or had days where I could play. And, right. you know, my mom or dad took me to this place and that place. So it must not have been that bad, uh, but it was that bad. And, and just because they had one moment of normalcy in a week, that doesn't make all those other days and times 
non-existent when right. it wasn't all fun and games. Right. Were there any signs uh, of abuse in your personality that teachers could have picked up or back in that time period uh, was child abuse probably wasn't on their radar like it is today? Yeah, unfortunately, um, mine happened during um, a time where it really wasn't talked about much and their teachers definitely weren't getting any kind of an education about it. But one of the things that caused me to start speaking out is I was going through a box that I had found and it had a lot of my old schoolwork, homework, report cards, drawings, writings, uh, just all kinds of different things from my childhood in this box. And as I was looking at it, from kindergarten to second grade, I, my handwriting, everything that I did was a certain way. And then starting from second grade on, you could see exactly when the abuse ramped up to daily. And then you can see, because my handwriting completely changed. Wow. It absolutely changed. And then from, um, from second grade to fifth grade, it was just it totally changed. Uh, it was like a different person writing. For about six months from fifth grade to sixth grade, it changed back into a more normal type of writing. And then when my dad started abusing me, you can again see the change in my handwriting to where it turned into a lot of scribbles where it, sometimes it was completely, um, you, you just couldn't see what I was even trying to say. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just got really bad. And I always wondered, I was from a small town, you know, our class sizes weren't that huge and all the teachers talked to each other. So I always wondered if any teacher that I had ever thought looking at writing from a previous year during those changes, you know, was something off? Why did it change so drastically? Um, right. You know, it, but you can definitely see it and you can see it in pictures too. Um, you know, when you, when your first memory is of abuse for a period of time, you don't know that it's wrong necessarily because it's normal in your household. So why would it be wrong? Yeah. And, and then um, when you get to school, you find out, oh, things like that don't happen at everybody's house. Um, it's all reflected in pictures. So you, you'll see baby pictures of me and when I was in kindergarten, you know, smiling and I look happy. And then you hit later, like third, fourth, fifth grade. And then again, in seventh, especially in seventh and eighth grade, I see, I, I found some pictures and you just see that my eyes are just, I look defeated sometimes when sure. you see it in my eyes and, and just like, there's no connection um, to reality in them at all. It's just like an emptiness that's in them. And if I can see it now in a picture that's 30 years old or 40 years old, um, you know, it's, 
didn't anybody notice those things? Like, yeah, didn't you would teacher think. or a neighbor or somebody notice these differences in me? Um, and but again, it was in the seventies and early eighties, so I don't, I don't recall being taught that very much. It was always a stranger danger type of thing instead of, oh, by the way, you know, daddies and mommies and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters can do these bad things too. Um, yeah. Did you, know, did, did you we, we weren't taught that. Did your uh, abusers uh, threaten you from reporting them or did the fear of just the unknown at that early age, just that never came, went in your mind? Like, maybe I should tell somebody what's going on. Sure. With my brother, um, he definitely threatened, um, you know, not I'll kill you because we were both pretty young when it started. Yeah. Uh, but it was a if you say anything, I will hurt you um, yeah. type of thing. You know, the kid that kids say with my dad, he was a judge and he was a Sunday school teacher. Um, That's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I I knew at at that time that if i tried to say anything nobody would believe me yeah um you know and i remember one time my mom had called cps uh, child protective services on my dad yeah uh because he when we were younger because he would never clean the house or anything um he was like he should have been on the tv show hoarders <laughs> and um so my mom called cps CPS actually called my dad to set up an appointment to look at our house to make sure that it was clean and give him a little bit so, of uh, breathing room there, huh? Yeah, so he had like a week to clean up the house and make everything presentable, and so that to me that just reinforced the whole thing sure. that i am not safe saying anything i he didn't even leave the room when she talked to us to ask us if we were okay and if everything was okay she let him stay in the room yeah. uh, during the interview with us and it was so like a that rigged situation reinforces yeah. that thought yeah I, you know it's like oh well they're not that concerned about it or they would have pulled me aside to talk to me you know right did you have any support from anyone yeah um no, I, well, not exactly. Um, I had an aunt who, when everything first happened with my mom leaving my dad, I was in a Girl Scout group and they used to have like a mother daughter event and I didn't have a mom to take me. So uh, my aunt stepped up at that time um, to be my mom for me. Um, so I, I didn't have somebody close enough that I felt I could confide in. Um, I didn't really have anybody that advocated for me in any way. Um, okay. One time I had, as a kid, I loved acting and singing. And so I auditioned when I was in elementary school, I auditioned for a college show during the summer and I was cast. And my mom actually gave me such a guilt trip because I, during the summer i was supposed to spend summer with her um gave me such a guilt trip instead of supporting me to do something like this uh she guilted me into quitting the show and going down and staying with her that summer so um, i didn't really yeah i didn't really have any kind of a support system 
how do you how do the victims of this ongoing abuse like like you had cope do you distract yourself uh from the situation or maybe set goals for the future or just block it out of your mind i mean how do you how do you sure when well i know like when it's going on um when the physical abuse is actually happening uh a lot of a lot of um survivors a lot of victims of abuse um will disassociate so uh it's kind of it's kind of like a meditation almost really uh -huh. um if you want to you want to look at a positive um, correlation to it it's like we would meditate we would go inside at least i would not everybody everybody has different ways of handling things but i would just go inside my own mind this was happening to somebody else and i would just um, go to a safe place in my own head um, now this also causes a lot of problems because now i have chunks of my life that i have no recall uh, i went to a high school reunion one time and friends were talking about all these different things that we did and i have no recollection of doing these things um because, because you I took was, yourself out of that situation because i was forever in this disassociative state there's just many many hours years almost probably uh that i can't really recall much of anything at all and no. you know it's really scary um but then on the day-to-day -day, you know trying to go through school or or hold down a job or whatever the case may be um you a lot of survivors um become perfectionist um and they have to, you know, they, they have to be perfect in their work or their schoolwork, their, you know, strive for the straight A's type of thing. Um, when I was younger, I lost myself in books all the time. I read all the time. Um, I had so many fines at different schools from <laughs> forgetting to take my books back, yeah. uh, but I would lose myself in the stories. Sure. Um, because that was my way to cope with everything that was going on. I just, you know, did not live in a reality um, that was any any kind of positive one. So I would read books all the time. Um, some people will use art, um, music, um, sports. Um, you know, we just find whatever we can. You, yeah. you grab onto it with both hands right. and you, you hold on for dear life um, so like that you can. It, yeah. it really, it, yeah, you yeah. always find a life preserver in that situation. Yeah. Did you tell your mom about what was going on? And if you did, at what age and and how and how did that go? Were the abusers confronted or how did that how did that work? So I at the age of I think I was either I think I was 16 when it happened, when I did this, um, I, um, kind of had a small breakdown. I can't remember what triggered it. I just remember getting very angry at my mom and basically screaming in her face that I had been sexually abused by, uh, my dad and by my brother. Um, she um, asked me if I wanted to go to counseling. 
uh, and and remember, I'm like 15 or 16 right. at this time. Right. Um, she shouldn't have asked. She should have said, we are going to take you to see somebody now. Yeah. Um, and she asked me if I wanted to call the police um, on my dad because yeah. my brother, uh, my brother passed away when he was 16. Oh. So, um, so he just, we, I, I think he had sleep apnea and wound up um, dying in his sleep. But, um, and so, so she asked me if I wanted to call the police on my dad. And I said, of course I said no. Um, and she never uh, mentioned anything about the abuse that I suffered from my brother. So that was at 15 or 16 when I had that reaction from her. Um, I did not tell anyone again for quite a while after that. Um, she and I really didn't talk about it after that. Um, she did tell me one time that she did tell my dad that if he ever touched me again, she would kill him. Um, but beyond that, there was nothing done after I told her. As an other adult? Than, oh. Oh, other than her, you know, ignoring the, the brother part. Yeah. As an adult, uh, at what age did you... Uh first seek counseling and, and did that help? So I was 23, I believe. Um, and I was in a relationship that was pretty stable. Um, and I felt, I, I guess in my mind, I felt safe enough to start thinking again about what I had been through. And I got very um, unstable emotionally yeah. uh, and wound up checking myself into a hospital where I got count. I got very intensive counseling uh, while I was hospitalized. I was hospitalized for a week. Um, and I went to very intense counseling uh, group and individual sessions for that. And then I spent another year in outpatient counseling, uh, individual and group. Um, and I, uh, we worked with a couple of workbooks that we, that we had. Um, the Courage to Heal was the one that they used. Um, and I was in counseling for about a year. And then um, I took a break for a very long time, um, which probably wasn't the best idea uh, yeah. because I did not go back to counseling or do anything until I was uh, in my 40s. So, wow. Um, so, that's, so that's almost so, 20 years. So I, um, I had this span of time from about... Um, 24, 25 to it somewhere in my four, I think I was probably 45 maybe, sure. uh, where I stopped my counseling, made a bunch more bad decisions in my life, and then uh, went back to counseling. So, um, well, at least you double back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's why I tell everybody it's it's like you can't just go to counseling for a short time and go, oh, yay, I'm healed. Yeah, um, because, yeah, if I had stayed with it or 
um, at least gone back, you know, after a small break, um, I probably wouldn't have made all those really bad mistakes between here, you know, there and where I am today. <laughs> yeah. At what age did you get married? And uh, how did your emotions from the from the past affect your marriage? So I've actually been married three different times. Um, that was part of the whole really bad decisions. Um, but the first marriage that I had was straight out of high school. And um, he was my very abusive uh, spouse. Um, I was... We, he and I were together for about two and a half years. Um, and it was, it was just a continuation, um, of what my childhood was. Yeah. Um, but ramped up a bit because it turned into physical abuse. And then it also turned into him tricking me out, um, through human trafficking. So, uh, okay. um, it, I was very lucky in the fact that I was able to get out um, rather quickly. I say two and a half years. And some people would think, you know, if you're getting beat up that much and he's doing these things to you, two and a half years is not quickly. Um, but to me, it is after talking to um, so many other survivors. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have kids at that time to tie me to this person. Um, I had nothing to tie me to this person. So uh, when I finally got it through my head that I needed to get out of this situation, that this was not what my life was supposed to be, um, I was able to pick up and run uh, rather quickly and um, and good. not have to try to find a way out with kids so i was very lucky in that yeah. situation um and then i married uh, and then uh, he actually committed suicide um about a year after i left um and then my second husband um he was the guy who stayed by my side during my breakdown in counseling and um we parted amicably. Um, I really wanted to be a mom and he really did not want to be a dad. And right. um, so we were together five years. And then uh, my kid's dad, we were married. Um, we were married seven, 17 or 18 years, um, raised two great kids, um, you know, and yeah. uh, but throughout those years, um, you know, my past definitely negatively impacted my marriage. Um, I have a lot of quirks, a lot of strange things that I could completely understand how a lot of men wouldn't be able to be in a relationship with me because of them. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, and and then also our paths in our lives just really diverged at, um, as our kids got older. So you kind of grew and, apart. Uh, and so we actually still have a family text group. Um, we still celebrate holidays together. Um, when he found out that I was doing all of this, he uh, has been very supportive about it. Um, and and uh, so, you know, just because relationships end, it doesn't mean that they have to end badly. Sure. Um, if you can both put 
push aside that hurt that's happened. Um, You can still find a way to at least be civil to each other, especially if there's kids involved. Yeah. Deanna, can you uh, give those people in abusive relationships out there that are listening to this some advice on how to safely exit that kind of situation? Absolutely. Uh, The first thing you want to do is don't leave on a whim. Um, You need to have a plan in place because you want to make sure that you're safe after you leave. Um, The most dangerous time, ironically, uh, for a victim to leave a domestic violence situation is after they leave. Um, There's uh, unfortunately um, many um, murder victims there they're the ones who um, left the abusive situation and shortly after were murdered uh, by their spouse or their partner because um, they left and you don't leave domestic violence like that. Um, So you have to have a plan um, and make sure that you have a safe place to go. Most cities now have some kind of a shelter, um, even rural areas tend to have a shelter somewhere um if you if you can't find a shelter do not go to a friend or a a family member because that's the first place that they will look for you you want to contact the police um, and the fire department those two people will have um, places that you can go to be safe and they can help you. If your situation was like mine, where your abuser is part of the system, um, you need to go to a higher system. So if they're your city police, you go to state. Um, if they're state, you go higher. Um, you know, you just, you have to, you have to do it smart. Um, if they're, you know, if they're tracking your every move, if they're checking your cell phone, just be really smart about things. Delete everything. Don't leave a trail, um, but have a plan. That's the, the best advice I can get. Good advice. Yeah, have a plan. Very good advice. So what event or circumstance uh, came about that prompted you to focus on yourself and decide uh, to address what happened in the past and come out and, and, uh, shine a spotlight on this whole thing sure um so it was a number of events that happened pretty quickly in succession um i i had been working two jobs for i don't know 10 years um and i've lost both of them because of covid um so that left me sitting at my apartment um by myself you know, every other week because my son goes back and forth between his dad and me still. Um, And uh, I had a lot of time on my hand that I not had really ever in my life because I've always made sure I keep myself busy. Sure. Um, There's never been a time that I haven't had at least one job and been in school or volunteering or, you know, I just always had a schedule that was so full, I had no time to focus on myself. And uh, so COVID made me 
um, have time <laughs> to yeah, focus like, on myself. Yeah, like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was about the time that I found the box and started going through the box. Um, and then the other thing that happened was that I was on Facebook and a second cousin that had come down when I was a little kid um, before my mom and dad split up and had spent a summer with us when she was a young teenager reached out to me on Facebook um, and we were chatting um, and I hadn't talked to her since that summer. So, you know, I'm five, six years old and she was like 13 or 14 when she stayed with us, hadn't talked to her in forever. So we started chatting on Facebook and um, she had seen some of the stuff that I was posting um, about my past and what I was trying to do. And she let me know that my dad had also abused her. Wow. So when that happened, um, that was kind of a kick in the gut because I had always believed that I was the only one yeah. um, that he, you know. And so that really, I was, now I was beyond angry um, about my entire childhood. Um, and so I, um, I found this group of survivors that uh, we all um, wrote a small chapter of our lives and put it in a book together um, and got it published on Kindle or on Amazon. And um, yeah, it, but those three things just, they all just kind of converged at the same time to hit me. And I think, the universe just had a message for me and I wasn't receiving the message. And so it decided to just pop me in the head hard yeah. and had all of this hit for me at one time so that I would finally get the message that, hey, you've got some important stuff to share and you need to start sharing it. Well, what suggestions do you have for other victims of any kind of abuse? Uh, to purge themselves uh, of the emotions they are carrying inside of them and to go from victim to survivor. I know uh, I had read where you talked about a, a confrontation letter. Can you explain that to us? Absolutely. The first time that I did a confrontation letter was when I was in the hospital. Um, and it's part of a therapy that they do um, where you write a letter to your abuser, basically confronting them in the letter um, with, you know, your abuse, what they did to you and how it has impacted your life even today. And then they have you uh, read the letter um, out loud. And in my case, it was in a group setting. It was during one of our group therapy sessions. I sat in one chair. Um, they put an empty chair in front of me to symbolize my abuser. And at that time we were focusing on my dad. Um, and I read this letter out loud to him. Um, and what, and that was probably the very first time I really let myself feel all those emotions that I had stuffed down in my body and in my mind for yeah. my entire life. I got very angry and let a lot of it out. It got very loud in that room during that I time. I um, but it it did, it helped so much. And when all of this uh, with COVID and, and me really searching again, um, I 
decided to write a letter to every single one of you know all three of my abusers and though two of them have passed away already um i went to, i found both of their grave sites i mean i knew where one was he was my brother um but i uh found both their grave sites and um i went and i actually recorded myself um reading the letter out loud to their headstone um and and just really let them know how i felt and how what they did impacted my life and it still impacts my life but now i'm choosing how it impacts my life they're not um, yeah. so it felt so good to do that i don't i i definitely don't advocate um sending the letter to anyone um because i that can put you in danger again yeah. um but you know using using the chair the empty chair or um or like uh like i did if they if they've passed away going to their grave and because with with my um abusive husband um he committed suicide in a completely different state i never went to a funeral i never saw him in a casket so without even realizing it i was still looking over my shoulder this entire time my wow. entire life i've been looking over my shoulder because i didn't see his body i yeah. i wasn't there i didn't see it so even though i confirmed it with the detective um i didn't believe it I guess deep down so when I went to that cemetery and saw that grave and read that letter it was one of the most powerful feelings I've ever felt and I for the first time I felt truly safe from him um, so that type of thing can really help purge all your emotions but also give you some power back well I know that survivorship becomes your power uh, can you talk about that? Sure. And, and I still catch myself saying this. We often will um, compare our abuse to other abuses. Well, mine was just. Well, he only did. It only happened once. We make all of these we, we like try to minimize it so much. Yeah. And um, and and we can't do that but we also feel a strength because we can look at our past and we can see what we did survive you know and one of the first things that happened to me when i started um, speaking out about it is people that have known me for a long time said i never even knew any of this about you um, and I'm like, well, yeah, that's because, you know, survivors tend to be really good actors. Yeah. We can hide things really well. Sure. Um, but we have this strength that even we don't recognize sometimes. Um, because if you tell your story to one person, they are going to look at you and say, I cannot believe you survived that. From the, from your abusers. Uh, or was justice just obtained in other ways? Um, I I say that justice um, doesn't always have to be through the legal system. 
Um, my brother died when he was young. He didn't get to live his life. Um, my abusive husband committed suicide. He didn't get to live his life. He was 21 when he right. did it. Um, and with my dad, his health is very bad. He, his body is basically slowly giving out on him. His mind, he's in early onset of dementia. Um, so karma has a way of handling um, justice sometimes for us when we can't get it through our legal systems. So let me ask you, uh, what about forgiveness? Does that enter into this? Um, forgiveness is a is definitely a very personal choice. Um, I've had people tell me, well, you need to forgive them so that you can get all that hate out of your heart. Um, and to that, I say, I don't need to forgive anybody. There's no hate in my heart. I don't hate them. I hate what they did to me and I hate what they did impacted my life so negatively. I don't hate them. Um, and as far as forgiving them, I don't really need to, there's no reason for me to, um, and what they did to me is unforgivable. So I choose not to forgive them. And I think that I'm still a very happy, healthy person now. Yeah, you certainly um, look like one. <laughs> so, I can I mean, tell you that I, I heard the stats that you were reading off. Um, yeah at the beginning and I can tell you that um, trauma, childhood abuse um, affects your health even in adulthood. Oh, sure. um, in fact, the majority of women who are diagnosed with fibromyalgia have suffered some kind of abuse in their childhood or young adulthood. Um, and I think that it's we've had so much toxicity in our lives because of our abuses that our body just, you know, can't can't help but react to it. And uh, I, I was actually diagnosed with fibromyalgia a few years ago and it got so bad um, before all this happened uh, that I was just miserable. I couldn't do anything but go to work and come home and go to bed. It, I just was hurting every single day. Um, since I started speaking out and, um, and working with my doctor as well, uh, we found a combination of drugs and the speaking out and really getting rid of so much of the emotion that I held inside myself um, has helped so much with the pain that I was in. Um, I would say that um, that it that all of this therapy and, and my self therapy that I'm doing now, um, it didn't just help my mind. It's helped my body and my soul too. Well, that was that was you. You just answered my next question. It was about <laughs> you know. Can you talk a little bit about the the medical and physical collateral damage? But yeah, it just did. Yeah, it's it it can it can be devastating, and you know, depending on what abuse has been suffered, I was a lucky one in the fact that the abuse didn't leave me physically unable to have kids or yeah. any other, you know, and in, in even with the domestic abuse, um, 
I, you know, I don't have like lasting scars that people can see. Yeah. Um, Which is good. All of my stuff is inner (laughs) scars, inner bruises. Uh, But yeah, there's people who have been abused so badly that they have physical scars or, um, you know, are unable to have children. Um, Sure. It it just affects everything. Deanna, what are some of the the biggest mistakes abused people make about their situation? Um, with with the childhood abuse, it's it's that that belief that you were the only one. Um, nobody will believe you, um, or that you're better off with the abuser than not with the abuser um with domestic violence domestic abuse um it's oh they're going to change they promised me they'd never do it again um he only does it when he's drunk um these are all things that we tell ourselves uh, to get by and they're lies they're not going to change they're not going to get better they don't just do it when they're drunk because eventually they're either going to stay drunk 24-7 or you're going to get hit 24-7 even when they're sober um, because they see that they can get away with it. Um, and then buying into all the stuff that they say to us, you're ugly, you, you can't do any better than me, you'll never be able to make it on your own, you're stupid. Um, all of those things are so untrue. We are so strong and you can make it on your own. Uh, and there are people that will believe you. If you tell one person and they don't believe you, you keep telling somebody, you just keep talking. Tell everybody until somebody believes you uh, because somebody will believe you. And and if you can't find somebody to believe you, I'll believe you. So just reach out to me. Right, right. Let's talk about your 501c3 nonprofit agency. Uh, I believe it's called Emerging from the Dark. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like you have lived in the dark most of your life. Tell us what prompted you to start it, and are you getting a lot of support for it? Um, I'm still in the process of getting it all set up, but I have gotten quite a bit of support for it. Um, my goal is we have a lot of counseling out there. We have a lot of shelters out there. Um, we we even have um, you know uh, work programs to help survivors that maybe don't have any work skills. But what we don't have is somebody to teach those soft life skills that you learned as a kid. I learned as a kid that I can't trust anybody. Um, but when you're out there in the real world and you're working, you have to have good communication skills. Um, Survivors don't have good communication skills. Um, If something's bothering us, we're not going to say anything. If we don't know something, we're going to lie and say we do uh, because we don't want to get into trouble. Uh, You know, so all of those um, good skills that people are supposed to learn as they grow up to be able to be a productive member of society, we didn't learn. And so um, I want to be able to have programs for survivors, teaching them the communication skills that they need. Um, what is an actual good, healthy relationship? Yeah. Um, 
you know, in parenting skills, because we sure didn't have the best role models if we are coming from an abusive situation. Sure. Um, just those those really um, big soft skills that you have to have to succeed. Um, and then on top of that, I want to continue to do what I'm doing now, which is advocating and um, and really educating the communities about um, abuse. People have I people still have it in their heads that oh it doesn't happen in these neighborhoods or it doesn't happen with these families. Right. You know, and it happens everywhere. And yeah. it happens to boys, it happens to girls, it happens to um, it, it can happen to anyone. And I just, I, I, I know that um, teachers and, and people who work with kids all the time are getting an education, but they're usually getting an education from the quote unquote professionals. Well, that's well and good yeah. for certain things. Um, but you really need to get an education from somebody who has survived it that can tell you those things to look for that um, professionals may not be able to because they didn't live it. Sure. And I was going to ask you, what, do you think you'll be doing eventually some outreach programs to parents, teacher groups, church groups, and even kids uh, regarding the issue uh, in the form of an advocacy group along with other willing survivors, like maybe Twitter or Facebook or meeting other survivors, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Um, the, the book, where I wrote the, my chapter in it, that's um, a, an amazing group of survivors. Um, and uh, it was such a pleasure to work with them in getting that book done. Um, so there's a, it's, um, it's called the Survivor Memoirs. It's on Amazon um, and it's um, 17 women and men sat down and wrote part of their story. Um, it's not, it's definitely not our full story because we only had 4,500 words per person. So, um, but it, it. it's yeah. a good chunk. Right. Yeah, it, it's still a, a good chunk of our story that we're able to tell um, and, and not only share what happened to us during our abuse, but also how it's impacted us and how we've been able to get on a path of healing. Um, so I absolutely love working with other survivors to get okay. word out there and to get the public educated. And I would love to get into schools and talk to not only the students, but the teachers and the sure. parents. And I will talk to anybody and everybody who will listen. And if I can lock you in a room with me because you won't listen, I'll talk to you then. <laughs> What, what, are, what are you most excited about going forward with your life? Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to start a new chapter in my life. Uh, my youngest goes off to college in August. So I have a 21 year old that's already been out the door for a couple of years. Um, and now my son who just turned 18 is going to be off to college. So I'll be an empty nester. Um, uh -huh. And uh, and for the first time in my life, I'll be completely on my own. Um, I've never lived on my own before. Um, so I'm really excited um, to have um, to have this new chapter in my life where 
not only am I um, going to be on my own and have time for myself to do things, uh, but I'm happy and I'm healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, and so I'm really ready to, you know, yeah. get back out there and and live life differently than I've ever known before. I'm glad you're in a good place. Deanna, how can people contact you? Um, so I have a website. It's emergingfromthedark.com. Um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all of those under Emerging from the Dark. Um, and they can always email me at uh, Deanna at Emerging from the Dark. All right. I'll put that in the program notes. Uh, okay. And, and, and please uh, come back and, and tell us in the future how the progress of your agency is making. I think that would Absolutely. Be, a, be a great podcast. I would love to. I think you're very strong. You're very courageous uh, from emerging from the dark about your situation and putting a spotlight on the problem, which does not get the attention it deserves. Uh, God bless you for all the work you're doing to enrich our everyone's lives. And, and we all know and are grateful uh, to you that you're making a difference in people's lives. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. I, I want to let everybody know out there that we just started a new Facebook page. It's a wrap with rap and please post any comments, questions, or suggestions for the podcast that you have on it. Thanks everyone for listening. I want everybody to stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap.